Richard Riddle, Boy Detective, in The Case of the French Spy, by Kim Newman. 4. The steps weren't steep, but went up a long way. The tunnel had been hewn out of rock. New timbers, already bowed and near cracking, showed where the passage had been shored after falls. We must be under the priory, he said. They came to the top of the stairs and a basement-looking room. Wooden crates were stacked. Cover your light, said Dick. Ernest yelped as he burned his hand. Carefully, Dick added. Ernest whimpered a bit. What do you suppose is in these? asked Violet. Contraband? Instruments of evil? prompted Ernest. Dick held his candle close to a crate. The slats were spaced an inch or so apart. Inside were copies of Omphalos Diabolicus. Isn't the point of smuggling to bring in things people want? asked Violet. I can't imagine an illicit marker for unreadable tracks. There could be coded spy messages in the books, Dick suggested hopefully. Even spies trained to resist torture in the dungeons of the Tsar wouldn't be able to read through these to get any message, said Violet. My deduction is that these are here because Selwood couldn't get anybody to buy his boring old books. Maybe he should change his name to Sell Words. Dick had the tiniest spasm of impatience. Here they were, in the lair of an undoubted villain, having penetrated secret defenses, and all they could do was make dubiously snarky remarks about his name. We should scout further, he said. Come on. He opened a door and found a gloomy passageway. The lack of windows suggested they were still underground. The walls were paneled, wood-warped, and stained by persistent damp. The next room along had no door and was full of rubble. Dick thought the ceiling had fallen in, but Violet saw at once that detritus was broken up fossils. Ammonites, she said. Also brachiopods, nautiloids, crinoids, plagiostoma, coronaceris, graphea, and calcarynchia. She held up what looked like an ordinary stone. This could be the knee bone of a Celadosaurus. One was discovered in Charmouth in Liassic Cliffs, just like these. The first near-complete dinosaur fossil to come to light. This might have been another find as important. Selwood is a vandal and a wrecker. He should be hit on the head with his own hammers. Dick patted Violet on the back, hoping she would cheer up. It's only a knee, said Ernest. Nothing interesting about knees. Some dinosaurs had brains in their knees, extra brains to do the thinking for their legs. Imagine if you had brains in your knees. Ernest was impressed. If I'd found this, I wouldn't have broken it, said Violet. I would have named it Violetosaurus, Violet's Lizard. Let's try the next room, said Dick. There might still be useful fragments. Reluctantly, Violet left the room of broken stone bones. Next was a thick wooden door with iron bands across it and three heavy bolts. Though the bolts were oiled, it was a strain to pull them. Dick and Violet both struggled. The top and bottom bolt shifted, but the middle one wouldn't move. Let me try, said Ernest, please. They did, and he didn't get anywhere. Violet dipped back into the fossil room and returned with a chunk they used as a hammer. The third bolt shot open. The banging and clanging sounded fearfully loud in the enclosed space. They listened, but no one came. Maybe, Dick thought, recognizing the earnestism, Selwood was up in his tower scanning the horizon for spy signals and his brethren were taking afternoon naps. The children stepped through the doorway and the door swung slowly and heavily shut behind them. This room was different again. The floor and walls were solid slabs which looked as if they'd been in place a long time. The atmosphere was dank, slightly moldy. A stone trough, like you see in stables, ran along one wall fed by an old-fashioned pump. Dick cupped water into his hand and tasted it. There was a nasty, coppery sting, and he spat. 
It's a dungeon, said Ernest. Violet held up her candle. A winch apparatus with handles like a threshing machine was fixed to the floor at the far side of the room, thick chain wrapped around the drum. Careful, said Violet, gripping Dick's arm. Dick looked at his feet. He stood on the edge of a circular hole, like a well. It was a dozen feet across and uncovered. There should be a cap on this, announced Dick, to prevent accidents. I doubt if Selwood cares much about accidents befalling intruders. You're probably right, Vile. The man's a complete rotter. Chains extended from the winch onto a solid iron ring in the ceiling, and then down into the hole. This is an oubliette, said Violet. It's from the French. You capture your prisonier and jete him into the hole, then oublier them. Forget them. Ernest, nervously, kept well away from the edge. He had been warned about falling into wells once, which meant that ever since he was afraid of them. Violet tossed her rock chunk into the pool of dark and counted. After three counts, thirty feet, there was a thump, stone on stone. No splash, she said. Up from the depths came another sound, a gurgling groan, something alive but unidentifiable. The noise lodged in Dick's heart like a fishhook of ice. A chill played up his spine. The cry had come from a throat, but hardly a human one. Ernest dropped his candle, which rolled to the lip of the pit and fell in, flame guttering. Round green eyes shone up, fire dancing in the fish-flat pupils. Something gray-green weighted with old chains writhed at the bottom of the hole. Ernest's candle went out. Violet's grip on Dick's arm hurt now. "'What is that?' she gasped. The groan took on an imploring, almost pathetic tone tinged with cunning and bottomless wrath. Dick shrugged off his shiver. He had a moment of pure joy, the click of sudden understanding that often occurs at the climax of a case when clues fit in the mind like jigsaw pieces and the solution is plain and simple. That, my dear Vile, is your French spy. 5. Someone's coming, said Ernest. Footfalls in the passageway. Hide, said Dick. The only place, aside from the hole, was under the water trough. Dick and Violet pinched out their candles and crammed in, pulling Ernest after them. They'll see the door's not bolted, said Ernest. Violet clapped her hand over her cousin's mouth. In the enclosed space, their breathing seemed horribly loud. Dick worried. Ernest was right. Maybe the people in the passage weren't coming to this room. Maybe they'd already walked past on their way to smash fossils or get a copy of Selwood's book. The footsteps stopped outside the door. Maybe this person didn't know it was usually bolted. Maybe this dungeon was so rarely visited they oubliéed whether it had been bolted shut after the last time. Maybe... Fessel! Fos! Milder! Mulder! barked a voice. The Reverend, Dr. Mr. Daniel Sturdivant Selwood, calling his brethren. And who's been opening my door? breathed Violet. It took Dick long seconds to recognize the storybook quotation. "'Who was last here?' shouted Selwood. "'This is inexcusable. "'With the devil, one does not take such risks.' "'And can't get out of this hole,' replied someone. "'Brother Milder, it has the wiles of an archfiend. "'That is why only I can be trusted to put it to the question. "'Who last brought the slops?' "'There was some argument. "'Maybe they'd be all right.' "'Selwood was so concerned with stopping an escape "'that he hadn't thought anyone might break in. "'One of the brethren tentatively spoke up, and received a clout round the ear. Dick wondered why anyone would want to be in Selwood's church militant. 
Stand guard, Selwood ordered. Let me see what disaster is so narrowly averted. The door was pushed open. Selwood set a lantern on a perch. The children pressed further back into shrinking shadow. Dick's ankle bent the wrong way. He bit down on the pain. He saw Selwood's shoes, with old-fashioned buckles and gaiters, walk past the trough towards the hole. He stopped, just by Dick's face. There was a pumping, coughing sound. Selwood filled a beaker. He poured the water into the hole. Violet counted silently again. After three, the water splashed on the French spy. It cried out with despair and yearning. Drink deep, spawn of Satan! The creature howled, then gargled again. Dick realized it wasn't making animal grunts, but speaking. Unknown words that he suspected were not French. The thing had been here for over a hundred years. Foes, Milder, in here now. I will resume the Inquisition. Brethren clumped in. Dick saw heavy boots. The two bruisers walked around the room, keeping well away from the hole. Dick eased out a little to get a better view. He risked a more comfortable, convenient position. Selwood had no reason to suspect he was spied upon. Brother Foes and Brother Milder worked the winch. The chains tightened over the hole, then wound onto the winch drum. The thing in the oubliette cursed. Dick was sure Fatagan was a curse word. As it was hauled upwards, the creature struggled, hissing and croaking. Violet held Dick's hand, pulling, keeping him from showing himself. A head showed over the mouth of the hole, three times the size of a man's and with no neck, just a pulpy frill of puffed-up gill slits. Saucer-sized fish eyes held the light, pupils contracting. Dick was sure the creature, eyes at floor level, saw past the boots of its captors straight into his face. It had a fixed maw with enough jagged teeth to please Ernest. "'Up!' ordered Selwood. "'Let's see all of the demon.' The brethren winched again, and the thing hung like Captain Kidd on execution dock. It was manlike, but with a stub of fishtail protruding beneath two rows of dorsal spines. Its hands and feet were webbed with nastily curved yellow nail barbs. Where water had splashed, its skin was rainbow-scaled, beautiful even. Elsewhere its hide was gray and taut, cracked, flaking or mossy with rusty wheels where the chains chafed. Dick saw the thing was missing several finger barbs. Its back and front were striped across with long-heeled and new-made scars. It had been whipping boy in this house since the days when Boney was a warrior, Y-I-Ya. He imagined Jacob Orris trying to get Napoleon's secrets out of the spy. Had old Orris held up charts and asked the manfish to tap a claw on hidden harbors where the invasion fleet was gathered? Ernest was mumbling, Sea ghost, over and over. Not frightened, but awed. Violet hissed at him to hush. Dick was sure they'd be caught, but Selwood was fascinated by the creature. He poked his face close to his captives, smiling smugly. A cheek muscle twitched around his fixed sneer. The manfish looked as if it would like to spit in Selwood's face, but couldn't afford the water. So, Diabolicus Maritime, is it today that you confess? I have been patient. We merely seek a statement we all know to be true, which will end this sham once and for all. The fish eyes were glassy and flat, but moved to fix on Selwood. You are a deception, my infernal guest. A lure, a living trick. A lie made flesh, a creature of the prince of liars. Own that Satan is your maker, imp. Confess your evil purpose. Selwood touched fingertips to the creature's scarred chest, scraping dry flesh. 
Scales fluttered away, falling like dead moths. Dick saw Selwood's fingers flex, the tips biting. The bones weren't enough, were they? Those so-called fossils. The buried lies that led to blasphemy and disbelief. No, the devil had a second deceit in reserve to pile upon the great untruth of prehistory. No mere dead dragon, but a live specimen, one of those fabled missing links in the fairy tale of evolution. By your very existence you bear false witness, testify that the world is older than it has been proved over and over again to be, preach against creation, tear down mankind to drag us from the realm of the angels into the festering salt depths of hell. The city of the damned lies under the earth, but you prove to my satisfaction that it extends also under the sea. The manfish had no ears, but Dick was certain it could hear Selwood. Moreover, it understood, followed his argument. So own up, snapped the reverend. One word and the deception is at an end. You are not part of God's creation, but a sea serpent, a monstrous forgery. The creature's lipless mouth curved. It barked through its mouth. Its gills rippled, showing scarlet inside. Selwood was furious. Dick, strangely, was excited. The prisoner was laughing at his captor, the laughter of a patient, abiding being. Why was it still alive? Could it be killed? Surely Oris or Selwood or some keeper in between had tried to execute the monster. In those eyes was a promise to the parson. I will live when you are gone. Drop it, snapped Selwood. Foes and Milder let go of the winch, and, with a cry, the French spy was swallowed by its hull. Selwood and his men left the room, taking the lantern. Dick began breathing properly again. Violet let Ernest squirm a little, though she held him under the trough. Then came a truly terrifying sound, worse even than the laughter of the fish demon. Bolts being drawn. Three of them. They were trapped. Six. Now was the time to keep calm. Dick knew Violet would be all right, if only because she had to think about Ernest. For obvious reasons, the children had not told anyone where they were going, but they would be missed at tea time. Uncle Davy and Aunt Maeve could easily overlook a skipped meal. Both of them were liable to get so interested in something that they wouldn't notice the house catching fire. But Cook kept track, and Mr. and Mrs. Boredale were sticklers for being in by five o'clock with hands washed and presentable. It must be past five now. Of course, any search party wouldn't get around to the Priory for days, maybe weeks. They'd look on the beaches first and in the woods. Eventually, his uncle and aunt would find the folder marked Quirs Nudipus Ja Quirs Dugjubiquis de Burb Fudquidjum. Aunt Maeve, good at puzzles, had taught him how to cipher in the first place. She would eventually break the code and read Dick's notes and want to talk with Selwood. By then, it would probably be too late. They gave the brethren time enough to get beyond earshot before creeping out from under the trough. They unbent with much creaking and muffled moaning. Violet lit her candle. Dick paced around the cell, keeping away from the hole. I'm thirsty, said Ernest. Easily treated, said Violet. She found the beaker and pumped water into it. Ernest drank, made a face, and asked for more. Violet worked the pump again. Water splashed over the brimful beaker into the trough. A noise came out of the hole. The children froze into mannequins. The noise came again. Oh, oh, oh. 
There was a pleading tone to it. Water, said Dick, snapping his fingers. It's saying water. Agreed the creature. Water, yes, water. Gosh, Dick, you are clever, said Violet. Said the creature, insisting. Give me water. Water, said Dick. Give me water, if you please, completed Violet, who caught on swiftly. Very polite for a sea ghost. Well brought up in Atlantis, or Lioness, or Relay, I imagine. Where? asked Dick. Sunken cities of old, where merpeople are supposed to live. More leftovers from Violet's myths and legends craze. Interesting, but not very helpful. Ernest had walked to the edge of the hole. This isn't a soppy person," said Ernest. This is a monster of the deep. He emptied the beaker into the dark. A sigh of undoubted gratitude rose from the depths. What are good things? Easy. Ernest poured another beakerful. At this rate, they might as well be using an eyedropper. Dick saw the solution. Vile, help me shift the trough, he said. They pulled one end away from the wall. It was heavy, but the bolts were old and rusted, and the brake came easily. Careful not to move the other end too much. We need it under the pump. Violet saw where this was going. Angled down away from the wall, the trough turned into a sluice. It didn't quite stretch all the way to the oubliette, but pulling up a loose stone put a notch into the rim, which served as a spout. What worries? said the creature mildly. Dick nodded to Violet. She worked the pump. Water splashed into the trough and flowed down, streaming through the notch and pouring into the pit. The creature gurgled with joy. Only now did Dick wonder whether watering it was a good idea. It might not be a French spy, or even a maritime demon, but it was definitely one of Granny Ball's sea ghosts. If Dick had been treated as it had been, he would not be well disposed towards land people. But the water kept flowing. Violet's arm got tired, and she let up for a moment. Eweese, insisted the creature with a reproachful nannyish tone. Mo-wa-war. Violet kept pumping. Dick took the candle and walked to the edge of the hole. Ernest sat there, legs dangling over the edge, fingers playing in the cool cascade. The boys looked down. Where water fell, the manfish was changed. Vivid greens and reds and purples and oranges glistened. Its spines and frills and gills and webs were sleek. Even its eyes shone more brightly. It turned, mouth open under the spray, letting water wash around it, wrenching against its chains. Water makes the monster strong, said Ernest. The creature looked up at them. The edges of its mouth curved into something like a smile. There was cunning there, and a bottomless well of malice, but also an exaltation. Dick understood. When it was wet... The thing felt as he did when he saw through a mystery. It took a grip on one of its manacles and squeezed, cracking the old iron and casting it away. "'Can I stop now?' asked Violet. "'My arm's out of puff.' "'I think so.' The creature nodded, a human gestured awkward on the gilled, necklace being. It stood up, unshackled, and stretched as if waking after a long sleep in an awkward position. The chains dangled freely. A clear, thick, Milky-veined fluid seeped from the wheels on its chest. The man-fish carefully smoothed this secretion like an ointment. There were pools of water around its feet. It got down on its knees. Did it have spare brains in them? 
and sucked the pools dry. Then it raised its head and let water dribble through its gills and down over its chest and back. Tanks, it said. Now it wasn't parched, its speech was easier to understand. It took hold of the dangling chains and tugged, testing them. Watering the thing in the hole was all very well, but Dick wasn't sure how he'd feel if it were up here with them. If he were the creature, he would be very annoyed. He ought to be grateful to the children, but what did anyone know about the feelings of sea ghosts? Violet had told them the legend of the genie in the bottle. At first he swore to bestow untold riches upon the man who set him free, but after thousands of years burned to make his rescuer suffer horribly for waiting so long. It's too late to think about that. Slick and wet, the man-fish moved faster than anything its size should. No sooner had it grasped the chains than it had climbed them, deft as a sailor on the rigging, quick as a lizard on the flat or a salmon in the swim. It held on, hanging just under the ring in the ceiling, head swiveling around, eyes taking in the room. Dick and Ernest were backed against the door, taking Violet with them. She was less spooked than the boys. "'Bonjour, Monsieur la Fantôme de la Mer,' she said slowly and clearly, in the manner approved by her tutor, Monsieur de Roque. "'Je m'appelle Violet Borodale. Permettez-moi de présenter à vous mon petit cousin Ernest, et Richard Riddle, le détective juvenile célébré.' This seemed to puzzle the sea ghost. Well, I don't think it's really French, whispered Dick. Violet shrugged. The creature let go and leapt, landing frog-like, knees stuck out and shoulders hunched inches away from them. This close, it stank of the sea. Dick saw their reflections in its huge eyes. Its mouth opened. He saw row upon row of shark-like teeth, all pointed and shining. It might not have had a proper meal in a century. "'Scuse me,' it said, extending a hand, folding its frill-connected fingers up, but pointing with a single barb. The wet thorn touched Richard's cheek. Then it eased the children aside and considered the bolted door. "'Huff, puff, blow,' it said, hammering with fish fists. The door came off its hinges, and the bolts wrenched out of their sockets. The broken door crashed against the opposite wall of the passage. "'How do you know the three little pigs?' asked Violet. "'Girl name Uth, it said. "'Read to me.' "'A girl read to him,' Dick explained. "'So not all his captors had been tormentors. "'Who was Uth? "'Ruth? "'Someone called Ruth fit into the story. "'The little girl lost with the Sophie Briggs, "'Selwood's niece.' "'The sea ghost looked at Violet. "'Dick deduced all little girls must look alike to it. "'If you've seen one pinafore, you've seen them all.' "'Uth,' it said with something like fondness. Uth kind of me, read me storybooks. Listen one then, Trapella liplic pick, tales of Uapo. What happened to Ruth? Violet asked. So kill Uth and his brother Georgie, said the creature, cold anger in its voice. Tell one, let me go see, let me go home. So Meshira, take everything, take me. Dick understood and was not surprised. This was the nature of Selwood's villainy. Charges of smuggling and espionage remained unproven, but he was guilty of the worst crime of all. Murder. People were coming now, alerted by the noise. The sea ghost stepped into the passage, holding up a hand. Fingers spread and webs unfurled to indicate that the children should stay behind. They kept in the dark, where they couldn't see what was happening in the passage. The man-fish leapt and landed on someone. Cries of terror and triumph, 
an unpleasant, wet crunching, followed by unmistakable chewing. More people came on the scene. A crater's out of the coal! shrieked someone. A very loud bang. A firework stink. The man-fish staggered past the doorway, red blossoming on its shoulder. It had more red stuff around its mouth and scraps of cloth caught in its teeth. It roared in rage and threw itself at whoever had shot it. Something detached from something else and rolled past the doorway, leaving a trail of sticky splashes. Violet kept her hand over Ernest's eyes, though he tried to pick at her fingers. "'Spawn of Satan, you show your true colors at last!' It was Selwood. "'Milder! Fessel! Take him down!' The brethren grunted. The doorway was filled with struggling bodies, driving the children back into the cell. They pressed flat against the wet, cold walls. Brother Milder and Brother Fessel held the creature's arms and wrestled it back towards the hole. Selwood appeared, hefting one of his fossil-breaking hammers. He thumped the sea ghost's breastbone with all his might, and it fell, sprawling on the flagstones. Milder and Fessel shifted their weight to pin the creature down. Still, no one noticed the children. The creature's shoulder wound closed like a sea anemone. The bruise in the middle of its chest faded at once. It looked hate up at the reverend. Selwood stood over the wriggling manfish. He weighed his hammer. You're devilish hard to kill, demon. But how would you like your skull pounded to paste? It might take a considerable while to recover, eh? He raised the hammer above his head. You there, said Violet, voice clear and shrill and loud. Stop! Selwood swiveled to look. This is an important scientific discovery and must not be harmed. Why, it is practically a living dinosaur! Violet stood between Selwood and the pinned manfish. Dick was by her side, arm linked with hers. Ernest was in front of them, fists up like a pugilist. "'Don't you hurt my friend the monster!' said Ernest. Selwood's red rage showed. "'You see!' he yelled. "'How the foulness spreads! How the lies take hold! You see!' Something snapped inside Milder. He rolled off the creature, limbs loose, neck flopping. The sea ghost stood up, a two-handed grip on the last of Selwood's brethren, Fessel. "'Help!' he gasped. "'Children! Help!' Dick had a pang of guilt. Then Fessel was falling into the oubliette. He rattled against chains and landed with a final sounding crash. The sea ghost stepped around the children and took away Selwood's hammer, which it threw across the room. It clanged against the far wall. I am not afraid of you, announced the Reverend. The creature tucked Selwood under its arm. The Reverend was too surprised to protest. Shouldn't I kill with the goji, Selwood? Shouldn't I How do you know? Selwood was indignant, but didn't deny the crime. She told me. She told me all thing. I serve a greater purpose, shouted Selwood. The sea ghost carried the reverend out of the room. The children followed. The man-fish strode down the passage towards the book room. Two dead men, Mulder and Fos, lay about. "'Their heads are gone!' exclaimed Ernest, with a glee Dick found a little disturbing. At least Ernest wasn't picking up one of the heads for the office wall. Selwood thumped the creature's back. Its old whip stripes and poker brands were healing. Dick, Violet, and Ernest followed the escapee and its former jailer. In the book room, Selwood looked with hurried regret at the crates of unsold volumes and struggled less. The sea ghost found the steps leading down and seemed to contract its body to squeeze into the tunnel. Selwood was dragged bloody against the rock ceiling. "'Come on, detectives,' said Dick. "'After them!' 7. 
They came out under Ware Cleave. Waves scraped shingle in an eternal rhythm. It was twilight and chilly, well past tea time. The manfish, burden limp, tasted the sea in the air. Thanks, it said to the children. Thanks very much. It walked into the waves. As sea soaked through his coat, Selwood was shocked into consciousness and began to struggle again, shouting and cursing and praying. The sea ghost was waist-deep in its element. It turned to wave at the children. Selwood got free, madly striking away from the shore, not towards dry land. The creature leapt completely out of the water, dark rainbows rippling on its flanks, and landed heavily on Selwood, claws hooking into meat, pressing the reverend under the waves. They saw the swimming shape, darting impossibly fast, zigzagging out into the bay. Thinned feet showed above the water for an instant, and the manfish, the sea ghost, the French spy, the living fossil, the snare of Satan, the monster of the deep, was gone for good, dragging the Reverend Mr. Daniel Sturdivant Selwood with him. "'To Davy Jones's locker,' said Ernest. Dick realized Violet was holding his hand and tactfully got his fingers free. Their shoes were covered with other people's blood. "'Anthropos ichthyos violetta,' said Violet. "'Violet's manfish, a whole new phylum.' "'I pronounce this case closed,' said Dick. "'Can I borrow your matches?' asked Violet. "'I'll just nip back up to the tunnel and set fire to Selwood's books. "'If the priory burns down, we won't have to answer any questions about dead people.' Dick handed over the box. He agreed with Violet. This was one of those stories for which the world was not yet ready. Writing it up, he would use a double cipher. "'Besides,' Violet said, "'some books deserve to be burned.' While Violet was gone, Dick and Ernest passed time skipping stones on the waves. Rooting for ammunition, they found an ammonite, not quite as big and nice as the one that was smashed, but sure to delight Violet, and much easier to carry home. "'Ammonites,' she said. "'Also brachiopods, nautiloids, crinoids, plagiostoma, coronaceris, graphea, and calcarhenicinfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinderfinder
I don't speak French. I don't know how to do French. This is the best I can do. And I'm sorry for those of you who know French and think this is atrocious. I think it's atrocious too. Sorry. So cool. And his brother, Georgie, said the creature, cold anger in its voice. Too long, let me go see. Let me go home. <coughs> Ow. Glad I brought lots of water. Wah, wah.